Oh, yeah. My name is Felina, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, Felina. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. It says now. <laughs> I'm not being controlling. It says now. We're letting go. Yes. We remind you that this session is being taped, and all speakers must sign the release form, which hopefully they have. Yes. To protect your, our anonymity, no, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 18 minutes each, followed by, <laughs> followed by questions from the floor for the panel. I love it. We have like this very like happy energy up here. It's really nice. You should come up. And anyway, um, where was I? Okay, so we will have sp- three speakers who will share for 18 minutes each, followed by questions from the floor for the panelists. The topic for this session is love, romance, and relationships, letting go of control. The following is a reading from AA's 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 77. Having thus cleaned away the debris of the past, we consider how, with our newfound knowledge of ourselves, we may develop the best possible relations with every human being we know. This is a very large order. It is a task which we may perform with increasing skill, but never really finish. Learning how to live in the greatest peace, partnership, and brotherhood with all men and women of whatever description is a moving and fascinating adventure. Our first speaker this afternoon is Jim, and would you please join me in welcoming him? Hi, I'm Jim. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hey, Jim. Uh, Also a highly trained isolationist, so this is a really good topic for me. Welcome to this. This is really cool. Uh, planning doing this after lunch is a good thing, so you know, right before people are ready for the door. So um, I, did, I thought what I'd do is, is um, break this up a little bit in like what it was like or how I wound up being the kind of relationship person I was to begin with, and then look at what program has done for me so far. Uh, I have anticipation. Uh, I'm 67, and uh, my thought is, wow, in another 30 years, well, I actually promised my wife I'd live to be 93, so (laughs) however many years that is, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how far this goes. Um, But the book is, uh, this is from the A12 and 12, and it sort of gives a couple of ideas of where I started. One line from page, well, this is an old edition, but page 54 is, the primary fact that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. So when we're in relationship and things like that, if we can't do our relationship at all, that makes those tricky. Uh, At least that's my experience. And uh, one other quick line is, our demand for emotional security for our own way had constantly thrown us into unworkable relations with other people. So that's where I started. Uh, I remember when I was young, I told myself I'm not going to ever get into a relationship because people are just too damn complicated. Uh, 
and they'd complicate my life, and my life would be much easier if there was nobody else in it but me, uh, which would probably be true. I wouldn't like it, but it would be simpler. Um, so just to give you a sense of this, I, I was just thinking about this before I came down here. Is I was trying to think, okay, so where did you learn your relationship stuff? And um, so I, I start thinking of my two grandfathers. My, my uh, dad's dad uh, was an alcoholic, died at 29. When my dad was one year old, he, um, my grandfather ran a bar and died. And when I asked my family, what did he die of? Because I thought, that's damn young, 29. They said, oh, heart condition. And I went, heart condition? And he lives in Wisconsin and runs a bar? I think not. Anyway, I finally find out where he died and that and got the death certificate. And, and they were brilliant. My family was brilliant. This is how to do relationship. You just make belief. <laughs> so it says, enlarged heart from massive consumption of alcohol. <laughs> and what my family saw was heart. <laughs> Let go of the alcohol. Uh, my other grandfather, I'm just thinking, okay, male, where does male get stuff? My mom's dad uh, came over from Italy when he was 14. His family sent him over here with a younger cousin to drop him off at family here in Chicago. And uh, then that family was supposed to raise him. So he brought the little kid to the, to the train station, called his uncle. His uncle came, picked up the little kid and said, you wait right here, I'll be right back and never returned. Oh. So this kid was 14, knew no English, and the guys on the railroad that worked the railroad took him in because he had no other family here, and they raised him. And so what he learned from them was how to drink. So he was blind from drinking wine, and the doctor told him either you stop drinking wine or you'll be permanently blind if you're not already. And so he stopped drinking and just turned into the meanest son of a gun you've ever seen. <laughs> Because he couldn't drink and still see. So with that kind of skill set, surprisingly <laughs> enough, when uh, I started dating, uh, I picked a, a very interesting person. Um, she was a lesbian, which usually doesn't work so well for heterosexual males. Uh, so um, she had two kids from a prior marriage. Uh, and so she said, I really need a father, so I'm going to convert back to being heterosexual. I'll marry you. You can be the father, blah, blah, blah. She smoked. I have asthma, so I couldn't breathe. Um, you know, there was just all this stuff going on, which would have made a sane person look at this and go, maybe you should try someone else. <laughs> However, that's not what happened. So I married her. Uh, we, we, you know had a kid together, then she started having a relationship with another woman, then we added that woman to our house, so we had three kids, three adults living on floors, bouncing up and down, and it was the 70s where people tried stuff like that, uh, <laughs> uh, and eventually it fell apart, okay, so then for eight years I didn't date, and so that's like where I came from, so I got into recovery because that first wife was an alcoholic, as well. I don't know if I mentioned that, but <laughs> so uh, I started getting in recovery. So eight years later, I started dating again because I'm not in a, a big rush kind of person. So, uh, so I did that, and I was raising the kids by myself during that time as well. So in any event, uh, it's like that's where I come from. And so like when I, when I think about it, recovery takes us wherever we come from. 
I mean, whatever our background is, however we've done it, what we get is we get recovery, which lets us do it better. And uh, in relationship in particular, I think we don't get perfect. We, you know, what we get is better. And we get better at being in it, better at contributing to it, better at being a part of it, better at listening to the other person and getting something from them that adds to our life that we never would have gotten had we ever been in a relationship with them, if you can track all of that. You know, that's the gifts we get. And we get that by doing the work that the program asks us to do. And we don't get guarantees. Uh, One of my early sponsors used to just say, you do the footwork and then shut the hell up because God's got the outcome. And I want to control the outcome. So when this is let go of control, that's not a mystery in relationship. If I try to control it, boy, can I ruin it quick. You know, I ruin me and them and the whole thing falls apart. So anyway, uh, then I did some recovery stuff, right? And, um, and that's good news. Uh, so then when I started dating again, um, I ran into somebody in an OA meeting who was looking sad and teary-eyed. And I immediately wanted to date her, of course. (laughs) So this is eight years later, and this is as far as I've come. I'm not not a speed merchant here. So it was like I I looked at her, and then I had gone to a therapist who once said, you know, you got to date other women because every woman's different. And if you don't get the hang of the idea that they're all different, you're not going to know what to do with them. <laughs> you know? So, so um, anyway, so I just thought, okay, what I've told myself is I wouldn't date anybody who was feeling, who was crying or, or that kind of thing. Because my ability is I can scan the room and I know who's in pain and I'm attracted to you. Oh, let me help. You know, that's, that's me. So, um, so she was crying and I thought, oh. Let me take you out. And I thought, no, Jim, you're changing. Right? And, and to me, that's what program is. It's, it's little bitty progress steps. You know, I, I don't, thank you, I don't really get um, this kind of all of a sudden big things happen. I make little steps, little steps, little steps, and then after a while I turn around and somebody tells me, gosh, you've really changed. And I had no idea. Or I finally get it, but it's like later. So, um, Within a week or so, she wasn't crying at the meeting anymore, so I asked her out. And we, <laughs> like I said, I'm just a little better. Uh, and so uh, our, our first date was, was fun. It was at a, a movie theater in Hollywood where they were showing short, independent sex films. And I, <laughs> so I asked her that. We went out. Um, and... So we had this relationship for a while, and, uh, and then we started talking about getting married. And, like, I'd been married before, and the thought of getting married again did not interest me at all. And she'd never been married before, so she was interested. So she said, but I want to marry you, you know. And, and I said, well, I don't want to get married again. And she said, well, you better think about it, because I'm going to give you, I don't remember how much time it was. And she said, then I'm going to ask you. So if you, if you want me to ask you, just wait. And so I thought, oh so uh, one, of, one of the things that's great in program is that when you talk to other people in program, they tell you what they tried. And sometimes you just go, oh, my God, that poor soul. <laughs> I, I hope God treats them well. Other times you hear things and you think, maybe that would work for me. 
So one of the things that people had told me was, if you've got a decision and you can't get an answer from HP right away, uh, that's what I use for God is HP. It's safer to me. Uh, what you do is, is you read something from literature over and over again for a month, writing each day, and by the end of the month, you'll have an answer. And I thought, I can do that. So I took the 12th step in the AA 12 and 12, which has some really cool stuff in it, uh, it has the famous line, our main problem is not that we are, uh, not how to stay married. It is how to be more happily married by eliminating the severe emotional twists that have so often stemmed from our compulsive reading, if I translate it. Um, and so I thought, wow, it's not just staying married. You have to be happy sometimes, too. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is really strange. And, and then it's got one other line that says, it is only where boy meets girl in, uh, on OA campus and love follows at first sight that difficulties may develop. The prospective partners need to be as solid in OA and long enough acquainted to know that their compatibility at spiritual, mental, and emotional levels is a fact and not wishful thinking. And I thought, damn, that's a lot of levels. You know, how about the just I'm hot for you level? But that wasn't what, what was given. So, um, so it was like reading that, uh, you know, especially in program. One of the things I've noticed is that after I'm in program for a while, I hear people's stories at meetings and I think I know them. <laughs> but that's not true. <laughs> it's what gets pitched. So I have a sense that I know them emotionally, and then I actually go out and talk to them and find out that they're really not exactly here. They're over here, but that was a really great pitch. You know, I really appreciate that. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, I could be delusional here. Maybe I don't really like her, uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I went through this whole thing, and finally by the end of the month, one of the one of the things that's really helpful for me is when I do this stuff, and it takes much longer than I think it should. Um, like, uh, you may not know this, I had a, a, a traumatic brain injury uh, last September. And the doctor told me it's going to take one to two years for you to get your energy back, because that's one of the basic things that people lose. And I thought, one to two years? It'll be a month, and I'll be back, <laughs> right? So it's almost a year, <laughs> and I still just get tired. But, you know, it's, it's like when it's longer than I want it, like when I'm doing something for a month, I want an abrupt answer, I want the resolution, and I'm on my way. Thanks a lot. Um, so in any event, I asked her to marry me because the answer I got from HP um, was, if you do not try for security in the relationship, just trust me. And I hated that message because <laughs> I'm a control person. And I like the security of being controlled, even if, you know, and I know it's delusional. I mean, I'm not totally out there. But it's, it's like it feels like there's some control on something, and then there isn't. And so this one just said, you know, don't seek security. Just trust me and go for it. So we got married, right? And we're still married this 25 years. So this is really cool. So... So the, um, you know, the good news is that program is program. You know, it's like we get to do it as best we can on any given day. Everybody, you know, if I could do better, I would kind of thinking. There's progress, not perfection. Uh, every little step is a step. I like the page, I think it's in One Day at a Time or something, that says something like, if the best thing you can do is be abstinent for today, it's a great day. 
And I go, yes, it is. You know, because my thinking was, yeah, that's done. But now what about all this other stuff? So how come that's not fixed yet? Um, and I have that tendency to do that kind of stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I'm really grateful there's a program that lets us start as primitively as I started and keep working at it and plugging along and all of that and trusting HP. And that's the bottom line is if I trust HP and I do the footwork, the outcome may surprise me. Most of the time does. Uh, like the gifts I've gotten from my wife are none I really plant. They're just, they're there, they're wonderful, right? Uh, I don't like to travel. She loves to travel, right? You think, well, what the hell is that? She's a night person. I'm a morning person. What the hell is that? Well, what that is, <laughs> is I don't think HP wants us to marry ourselves, <laughs> I think HP wants us to marry somebody else, and then we both get to grow from that. So, uh, you know, so she's an artist, so I go to a lot of theater that I would never be going to. I like theater, you know, I, I enjoy the arts, but it's, it's like the choices made and what I learn from her are amazing, and I wouldn't have chosen half of them, but so what? You know, it just means HP's got another plan, I'm not the planner. Right? The control is not here. It's out there. And if I let the control stay out there and just stay present and alert and awake and conscious and all that kind of stuff the program asks and being honest with myself about what I feel and what I think and all of that and, and actually communicate that with the person I'm with, things get better. Things get better. Uh, uh, we have a cat. Uh, we have a cat because my wife had a cat. <laughs> and uh, and I, I tell my students, you know, if you marry someone with a cat, just recognize that you will now have a cat. It's part of how it works. They are fused. And, and so the ability to take that and think that's kind of funny and, you know, go with it is what helps me. Re- I really enjoy the relationship I have now. I'm still friends with my first wife. Um, she lives in Oregon, and when we go through Oregon, I stop by and see her and all of that kind of stuff, which is great. She's still a great woman. She was a great woman before. We just didn't connect very well. Uh, and uh, I love my wife now, who's awesome, right? And she's the one I'm to be with, and I'm, you know, expecting this next 30 years that we'll be with her. So that's, you know, that's what I'm looking at. Uh, so when we're looking at, at this idea of relationship and, and romance and all of that, to me, I, I don't know many families that we come from that give us that skill set. Maybe you're one of the few, but everyone I talk to, everyone I talk to always says, this sucks. I don't know what to do here. You know, that's where we start. And HP doesn't ask us to start with a skill set. HP says, just start where you are. Where are your feet? Oh, yeah, they're right here. Then what what do I need to know? And am I going to learn that on my own after having parents and uncles and whoever teach me everything they knew, which was basically, you know, I I come from a family, for example, that I went to visit them in Chicago one year, and they told me, come out with us tonight. We're going to have fun. And I said, fun doing what? And they said, we're going to get drunk as hell. We have clubs. We're going to go down and beat the crap out of anyone who's not white. This is going to be great fun. You'll love it. When they hit the ground and you hear that thump, it's great. right? And I'm thinking, that's my training. 
I didn't go out with them, by the way, and I don't visit them anymore. But I'm just, you know, it's like that's how when they say the path gets narrower, they're family members I don't care if I ever see again. Right? And that's because I want to be the Jim HP wants me to be, not the one that they want me to be. Right? I can't afford to live their life. It's too painful. Uh, I would destroy whatever I've built that I enjoy in my life. I'm not willing to do that. They're not worth it to me. My recovery is worth it to me. What I get from HP is internal honesty about who I am. I get to listen to you instead of just eat and pretend I'm listening to you, which doesn't really work too well. Um, and, I, and I get a chance to kind of dance through stuff that's disagreements or that are differences. And so, like, my wife is going to Hawaii this summer. I told her with this head injury, I'm not traveling anywhere. It's too, you know, even coming out here from L.A. to me is trauma. So, <laughs> so I'm here, which is great. But I'm not going to Hawaii. She is. Okay, so uh, I just wanted you to get a sense of my, my take on this relationship and romance stuff is that that's the part of relationships that our addictions do not nurture. You know, I have judgments about me, I have judgments about you. And I have no skill going this way at all. And in program, I get to learn a little about me, and if I listen, I get a little about you, and then I learn what this is, what this dance is. And that adds to my life. I mean, I could live alone as a hermit under a rock somewhere, but that's not exactly what I want to do. Um, So one of the things, I'm just going to close with this. This is from uh, Voices of Recovery for Today, which is really nice when you're leading something and you just open up the book and it says something related. You go, damn, that's really good. I'll I'll say that. So so I'm going to say this. It's... uh, It's uh, on today's page of 181. It says, uh, people have disappointed you, hurt you, and let you down by being imperfect. Can you let go of the idea of perfection and accept reality, loving people just the way they are? Love the imperfect people around you. Love your imperfect self and your imperfect world. For if you cannot love life the way it is, you will suffer from eternal loneliness. We're looking at relationships here. We will live in uh, in an imperfect world surrounded by imperfect people. The ability to love yourself and those around you is a gift of God that enables you to live fully, bravely, and meaningfully in an imperfect world. So welcome to the imperfect world. Thank you so much, Jim, for your uh, for your sharing your experience, strength, and hope. I really, especially, love the part about starting wherever you are. That's so helpful. I think so. Thank you so much. And would you please join me in welcoming our second speaker, Wendy, who came all the way from New York. Hi, everyone. I'm a grateful compulsive overeater, and my name is Wendy, and I am from New York City. Hi, Wendy. We have the disease there, too. <laughs> In abundance. Um, okay, so I'm thrilled to be here. It is so my vision to be here. A year ago, I saw a picture of the Saguaro Hotel with rainbows, and I was like, I need to be there. And then six months later, I got a phone call to come speak um, here, and I was like, oh, my God. HP. Um, at the time, though, I was um, 
not working the program as much as I had been in my previous years, and I was like, oh my God, I need to get my ass into gear. But I'm going to tell you about that. So anyway, I came into program seven years ago when I was 28 years old, two weeks after my 28th birthday, where I was 285 pounds. And I had just come from Las Vegas, a family trip, and I couldn't walk the, the strip. And Las Vegas is a place I love. Um, used to love it for the buffets. Now I love it for the shopping and the <laughs> pool. Um, and I was like, and I was looking at all the beautiful skinny bodies next to me at the Mandalay Bay ho- um, Hotel pool. And I was like, oh my god! Like, how did I get here? Okay, 285 pounds. I can barely walk. Like, what is this? So. Um, my sister's birthday came two weeks after that Las Vegas trip, and she's like, for my birthday, I want you to go to an OA meeting. Um, my friend said, I, I didn't know this at the time, but my parents were talking about me going to get gastric bypass, and that's not a route I had ever wanted to go. So, because um, I knew I was already planning my binges and how I could do it, and I was like, that's not going to answer anything. So, um, I wanted to go to her birthday party for the cake, of course, and... Um, I had said it, and I'm like, Ugh, fine, I'll go. And I gave myself a stomach ache. And she's like, oh, okay, you didn't go that day? Okay, you're going the next week. I was like, oh, shit, I'm not getting out of this. OA <laughs> is, is, is going to be in my life. So I went the next week, and I finally, I walked in, 285 pounds, and I heard people say the things I needed to hear my entire life. And I was like, you guys think the way I do? Oh, my God, your disease, your, your disease gets progressively worse. Like, from high school, you were this weight. And then in college, you were this weight. And then you worked, and you, it gets on getting higher and higher. I'm like, oh, my God. So anyway, I felt at home when I got into program. And I felt like this huge relief. Like, the weight was going to be lifted. And um, it was. I lost 112 pounds um, by following a man who I believe was sent from higher power to save my life. And he told me to get up at 8 o'clock. I got up at 8 o'clock, begrudgingly. But I got up, and I ate my breakfast, and I ate six small meals a day, and 112 pounds got off my body. Now, relating to the topic, like, this topic is my life, um, is my disease, is my everything. It's my reason for living. It's love. Uh, romance, and I'm learning to let go. Um, so, I um, I did the first question. I don't know if you guys have the 30 questions out here, but I did the 30 questions about your weight loss, your history, and everything you've done to try and um, you know tackle this disease. So it was. It took me five days, ten um, typed pages, single spaced, and in it, it basically was I was seeking male validation. Um, I have a great relationship with my dad, so I'm not sure where this comes from. Although, I think growing up, you know, from age five on, I was always the chubby girl. And I think men didn't see me or boys didn't see me. And I felt so hurt and, um, I don't know, overlooked. And as I lost my virginity at age 26 to a stranger on J-Date. And I had kept my sexual being so safe and hidden um, through protection, I feel. I had never been raped. That wasn't my story, but there was some protection there. Um, I fell in love um, abstractly. As an addict, I've seen Dirty Dancing 2,000 times. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. Um, I love rom-coms. Like, that's my, that's my thing. So it's like I was chasing this dream and this fantasy, but yet I kept on getting heavier and heavier, yo-yo dieting, trying to get to 150. I got to 285. How the hell does that happen? Anyway, um, found the answers in program. So 
that year, you know, the weight flew off. He told me to eat this, do this, go to three meetings, have a life in between, um, sponsor, you know, learned it all. I have, a, I have a really strong foundation. The weight kept stayed off my body for four years, and I've been absent for seven. Um, but something that happened was, oh, you're 100. For me, I was 170. I look fantastic at 170, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and men were looking. And I had been in a long-distance Match.com Paris to New York relationship where I had started off heavy, and then it was safe so I could do my recovery and then see him a couple of times in Paris. And then the last time that I did see him, I knew it, was, it needed to be the end because I needed to move on with my life because here I am. I've worked so hard for my recovery. I'm looking great. I'm feeling great. You know, God's on my side, and I have to go back to New York, and I need to start dating. Um, never dated before, age 28. No, I'm sorry, I was 30. I was 30. And really never dated. And it was so scary. And it's like, I went on J-Date, and I thought the, the sea was going to part. Like, you are now thin, you are now beautiful, here you go. Here's like 12 eligible, rich, handsome men that want to date you, <laughs> at least. That did not happen. At all. At all. In fact, the person that I ended up being with, I happen to like Chubby. Yeah. And he was he was chubby himself. But um, you know, really interesting. We had a great we had a great time. And this is where things started to get wonky. Four years into program, and it's like wonky, 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 because now I'm dating and we're going out to great restaurants and great meals. And I was someone who weighed and measured my food and had lean protein and never deviated. And he wants to have melanin prosciutto. And I'm like, it's abstinent, but you know, anything, any extra calorie adds, you know, and like adds to, you know, your daily calories for the day. Not that I count calories, but if you're eating, you know, three small, three meals a day and two snacks, like you add two or 300 calories every day that's how it slowly creeps up. So I started dating, and this was happening, and then I felt wonky. I don't want to weigh a measure. And, you know, I, I talked about it with my sponsor. And then um, it ended up being that we had a great time. It was fun, but I was intense. It was my first time dating. I remember one night, and this is what led to the end, I started crying because I'm like, I have denied myself so much pleasure, um, sexual pleasure, uh, relationship pleasure, because of this disease, and it was hard for me to relate to people, to, to guys I was dating, but it, it ended up being a blessing, and it led me to Kabbalah and Judaism, but after that, a couple of weeks later, I went to an OA convention, and I met a man, and I was like, you know, I really just want to break from men right now, I want to just concentrate, lose the rest of the weight, I want it to be 150, 140, whatever, um, that didn't happen. He pursued me like an addict would. And <laughs> the more I said no, the more he said yes. And, um, you know, it was my dirty dancing love story. It really was fantastic. Um, again, things got wonky. You both like food. You know, you eat a little bit more bread. I was like, oh, God. We have a little bit more rice, you know. Mm. So... Uh, the weight started coming on. And then we realized in nine months into it, we're two different people, and we need to end on a, on, a, on a good note instead of a sour note. And I just wouldn't... I was finally ready... Okay, thank you. I was finally ready to, to, to be in love and like be in a committed relationship. And he was like, no. I'm like, oh, my God, but I can't control you? What the mm -hmm. hell? <laughs> like, what do we do now? Like, I don't know. I, like, I'm in love with you. You're not in love with me anymore. Like, what do you do? 
So I had to learn to let go. And that was really hard. And I have to say, that's when the food got slightly bigger. And that's what led to an increase in weight. 10, year, 10 pounds every year started to accumulate. Then I said, you know what? Okay, fine. I'm going to start dating a little bit. And so I treat dates now as like, um, you know, three hours of your time, you know. <laughs> right? I have a DA sponsor. I'm in Debtors Anonymous. And he's just like, you know, just treat it as like a night out. You know, not like they're going to be the, rest, the man for the rest of your life or, you know, um, the man you're going to marry. Just treat it. Because you know what? I spent a lot of Friday and Saturday nights alone in my life. It's nice to just go out and spend time, a nice meal with someone else. Um, so I've had to learn that. And um, more recently, so I, I, instead of this guy and I not working out, I, I, as an addict, I went really extreme into work. And as my life was continuing to get better, I mean, I was in Glamour Magazine, Good Morning America, Look at Me, I'm Hot, Tyra Banks. I was on the show. Like, life got amazing. And I was like, mm, shutting my stuff. And yeah, of course, my ego got a little bigger. And I was working my program, but you know, Work got bigger. I got my dream job. I was on the buying track for Saks Fifth Avenue. And um, what happened was I couldn't fit program in anymore. Sponsees were bothering the shit out of me. <laughs> it was like they were calling. It was like, I don't want to answer this. I got my own you know, crap to do. I'm so much bigger than this, which is so not the case, um, as I've had to learn. So two years of getting promoted on the track that I've always wanted to be. I didn't want sponsors getting in the way or a program getting in the way, and I knew that was a recipe for disaster, and it was. <laughs> so um, last year, actually, um, I had been working from like 7.30 a.m. to like 12 at night, you know, making sure the skinny girls had what they want to wear uh, at Saks Fifth Avenue. I'm like, I'm like, I'm getting bigger, and I'm buying for the skinny girls. I'm like, no, this is so bad for my recovery. And then I was seeing all the models and Valentino and Missoni. I was like, oh, God, not for me. Uh, it was just affecting my disease so much. So God does for me what I can't do for me, myself. Um, I call it a nervous breakdown, but it was really physical and emotional exhaustion. When I wasn't working my program, um, it just, my life went to shit. And um, I collapsed in a deli last February 14th, the day of love. <laughs> my parents came. I'm telling you, love is my life. Um, my parents came, picked me up. I went to the doctor. I, God is amazing. Um, I got three months medical leave. My task was to rebuild my life and to find beauty in it again and do what I enjoy. And it was like, how do I do that? Like, program was my life. And, and someone had once said, like, that's not fun. Okay, think of what you do for fun, you know? And I'm like, oh, it's hard. It's hard to do, you know? So what do I love to do? I love to travel. I love to drive. I love to watch movies. And that wasn't interesting to me until after the end of it, it started to become more interesting. And then God got me a new job. I work for NARS Cosmetics. I'm an account executive. I work from home, so I don't have people annoying me. Um, <laughs> But what happened was I was starting to get lazy in this job, and I started – all these men from my past came back, and it was like the unrequited loves in high school were like, you are gorgeous, you are wonderful. I'm like, I've never been heavier, and you're telling me these things. I think God would just wanted – because male attention and validation is my disease, and it does get me up and out of bed. <laughs> so I think – so I think God was like putting this in there to get me back really into program again, the way I know how to work it. So um, 
a couple of months ago, there was this guy on J-Date I started talking to, and uh, he's a mirror for me. He, um, we were talking on the phone, and he, something came up, and he's like, kind of like, what size are you? I'm like, oh, shit, what size? I'm like, right this second, I was 16, 18, but I was two seconds ago at 10, 12. Like, how do I tell that to you? So I'm like... This is not going to be good. Anyway, (laughs) it took me to a really dark place. And it was like, I'm 34 years old. I don't have children. My friends are on there. Two kids. I went to 35 weddings. No one loves me. Where's my soulmate? Oh, my God. And, right? I love that you're laughing at this because these were the thoughts in my head, like, every day. And then um, I said, you know what? I got into a really bad place. I need to hang up the phone. So I hung up the phone. The next day I was... I didn't shower. I was just miserable. I was in anxiety. I was like, oh, my God. You know, a guy that's not going to want me because I'm heavy. Um, he's like, he wrote to me. He's like, oh, you know, I'd really still like to meet you. I'm like, oh, you're going to see my ass. You can see. <laughs> Ooh, this isn't going to be good. So I'm like, you know what? Let me face my demons. Maybe this is my soulmate. You never know. But let me face my demons because what I really want to do is hang out alone on a Friday night. But I know that sitting alone on a Friday night, I was going to think, what if? And I'm like, I don't want to live my life as what if. I I view my life as if I'm 80 looking back, what would I have regretted? And I've done some incredible things. I'm like, okay, you know what? It's three hours of your time go. He's going to take you to dinner, take you to a nice bar, and we're going to a burlesque show. Awesome. Okay. Ended up going. We're in the car. I look at him. I'm like, I'm so not going to be into you. You're not my type because you're not attractive enough is what I said in my head. But um, we're in the car and he keeps looking over to me while we're driving and he's like, you're gorgeous. You're gorgeous. You're beautiful. Like, thanks. I'm not even kidding. So we kept on driving to our, our restaurant, and then we get to, we're, you know, we're having, um, we're sitting down at the bar right beforehand, and he's like, he's like, you're gorgeous. I'm like, thank you. I'm like, don't you regret saying, asking me what size I was? And he's like, and he kissed me on my neck, and it was like, I was all over, it was all over then. It was like, it was romantic. We had the, I had the best date of my life, and it just, yeah, it was great. You know, who knows what's going to happen? I'll, 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 I'll um, share some more. But um, what we had a great night. Called the next day. Didn't hear from him for a month. I was like, oh. All I could say is, though, he was in therapy. And I was like, it was true. My mentors and sponsors and programs said to me, he, your soulmate is working on himself. And you're not ready to meet them yet. And that's okay. So keep working on yourself. I'm like, okay. So I thought that he didn't like me because, one, I was heavier, and, two, my room was a mess when he came over. I was in the middle of cleaning it. And um, (laughs) it was a project I didn't finish. Oops. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this experience and, like, apply program here, okay? I've been needing to finish my room. I never want that to block me from meeting my soulmate. If a man sees me, I want to be ready. I've worked too hard, seven years in this program, a lot of Jewish training, you name it. (laughs) I'm like, I want him to meet me and, you know, me be the best self I can be. So um, I ended up in in that two weeks. I'm like, he might call me one day again, okay? So I talked to all my neighbors. They helped me clean my room. It looks gorgeous it's it was spotless you know 
like the next step is movement. Okay, I've been absent for a long time, but I've been incredibly sedentary. I gained 25 pounds this year, I believe, because I work from home, so I sit on a couch all day long just typing and emailing. So I think with being on an antidepressant, which I took out of my life because program solves all that once I get in it, and then I went... I said, okay, you know what? He exercises. I want to exercise. So I've been adding three to four times um, a week. I've been going to the gym and just walking, just moving, not caring what it is, just moving. And there's been a shift in myself. And then I realized, you know what? He's in therapy. I need to call my sponsor. I hadn't been talking to him often. Okay, great. And um, I, I, I met my sponsor, and he like, listen, Let's focus on losing weight right now and you getting back into program and work. And what happened was, is like I call this this new phase, this new energy in my in my life, um, which is just like two months old, is like reaching for life. And I go back to my three meetings a day, uh, three meetings a week. I'm sponsoring again, and I see how sponsoring helps. Um, by me reaching out, I get to clear what's in the junk in my head. By hearing others, I get to hear what their junk is, which is the same as my junk, and it looks really ugly on them, so it must look really ugly on me. And <laughs> but you also, I don't want my sponsees eating French fries or cheeseburgers or you name it. So, and I'm telling them how to structure, or I'm sharing, you know, what works. Like, don't eat anything in between. Um, so I'm like hearing myself talk, and then I'm sharing that with them, and like I'm not going to do that. Not that I do, but like you know, you need things that need fine tuning. You you set you share with your sponsee. So anyway, service has been my answer. Getting back into program, being here. I mean, this is a dream and a vision, um, and I've had to learn to let go. And this guy, after I learned to let go and self cared and took care of myself. He keeps on coming back, but I'm not focusing on it. I'm focusing on my self-care and my recovery, and everything follows from that, everything great. So thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Wendy. I um, I think we are uh, sisters of another mother. Not Jewish, but Greek, but absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming out from New York to tell us that. Wow, how hopeful. Um, and now we have our third speaker, who is going to be John Kay. Please join me in welcoming him. We need to talk. I am John, compulsive eater. Hi, John. On behalf of the guys of the world, I can tell you, if you bring a guy to your room, he doesn't care if there's dead bodies in it. <laughs> uh, he's in your room. He's happy. Trust me. Uh, um, <laughs> But um, I'm sorry, it was a comedian slip there. Um, uh, you know, it's funny uh, when I got uh, the the topic that to talk on. You know, I got thinking about my my programs because I'm in a number of them. And you know, OA. I mean, the thing OA helped me with the most was to put the food down because when I I the, when I'm in the food, I don't like myself and that just tends to percolate outwards and I'm not a very agreeable person to be around and all that stuff. And then in terms, you know, I've got 31 years in, in AA sober, but, you know, if I was drinking, trust me, there's only one relationship when I'm drinking and it has the word proof on the outside of it. Um, 
But Al-Anon helped me a lot. And, and I, can, I mean, I'm not, you know, this isn't an Al-Anon meeting, but I can tell you the most profound thing I heard when I was at an Al-Anon meeting once was the phrase, uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Yeah. And I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, ooh, you know. Now, I've since amended it. Uh, my, my phrase is, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? Uh, <laughs> which uh, I find works pretty well. I actually had a sponsee, I was telling, talking to him, I had a sponsee, and he was a lawyer. And I mentioned, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And he said to me, well, what if the only way I can be happy is to be right? <laughs> and I said, you are a lawyer, aren't you? Yes. Um, but, you know, this, these topics are interesting, you know. And I also, we, we were talking before the, meet, the meeting about how we got two men on a thing having to do with love and romance. And, and, and it, you know, in a way, it's good, you know. I mean, for me, th- these topics are, uh, you know, love and vulnerability, you know, intimacy, which doesn't have to do with sex. Sex can be the most unintimate thing in the world. And romance and, and relationships, you know. And um, how do you go from a person who was a total isolator his whole life to sharing your life with somebody is, is daunting, you know. It really is. And um, I think the main end product of, of my work in the steps, you know, is the gradual decrease of, you know, my more egregious character defects, you know. Um, notice I didn't say elimination. The decrease is all I'm going to ever be happy with. Um, <laughs> You know, um, and I don't even like the phrase character defects. I think it's a very pejorative phrase. I like the phrase defense mechanisms. They, they, they did something at one point. You know, we, did, we used, you know, I always like to say we're compulsive eaters, we're not idiots. You know, these were things that helped us at one point or we wouldn't have done them. But, you know, they're not helping anymore. And, and, and slowly I've had to work. You know, I, I, joke, I, I joke sometimes, you know, I'm on my second and last marriage. Um, and I, I, that my, my poor first wife, she got John 1.0, you know, and then I was in a long-term relationship between my two marriages, and she got John 2.0, and, uh, and, and, and she ended up being a lesbian, too. So I, it seems to be, no, I'm just saying, it's just one of those, you know, people picker things. And, um, and thank God, you know, I, you know, my current wife has uh, John 3.0, and I'm, you know, in the beta on John 4.0, because, I mean, I want to keep, you know, you know, one of the great lines in the movies was uh, that Jack Nicholson, as good as it gets, when he says, I, you know, you make me want to be a better man. And, and it's really true. I want to be a better person. I want to be a better, you know. You know. And as a, you know, one of the great lines I heard that helped me uh, about, about three or four years ago, a guy Harlan who gives workshops, he says, no matter how much I work this program, no matter how you know, you know, memorize the first 164 pages of the big book. I don't rise above the level of human being, you know, and I don't like every once in a while I act like a real human being. And, uh, um, and, but it, you know, I'm better now. I, and I think when I look at the two main sort of areas of my, my personal uh, character defects, it, it was immaturity and self-centeredness, you know, um, and those were sort of the drivers for me. And I think as I got better, I started. I think a healthy person makes healthier choices with relationships, and and I and to work on myself to that point, you know, you know, when I started dating, and and I didn't do too much. I was the fat kid. I like a, a lot of people here. I was fat. I was heavy my whole life, and then when I got into dating, you know, I lose lose a little weight, and but no matter what, even when I lost weight, and you know, I came in 31 years ago in OA, and I lost, you know, I was 26 years old. I had this metabolism of a hummingbird. I lost all my weight. But I didn't, it wasn't up here. You know, I was still the fat kid walking around. And, and going into any kind of a t- attempt at a relationship, I used to say I, I was like Oliver Twist with the bowl going, you know, please, sir, can I have some more? You know, the idea that, that you would be doing me a huge favor if you went out with me, that there was no 
any intrinsic self-worth that I was bringing anything to her or I had anything to offer. And, and, or then the other thing I did was I was Zelig. You know, I don't know if you remember the Woody Allen movie Zelig. was all about a guy who, just, who was a, literally a chameleon and would turn into whatever you wanted of him. And that was the other thing. Well, you know, I with women, I'd, well, oh, you like Chinese opera? I love Chinese opera, you know? <laughs> but no, literally anything... It didn't matter. I had no self. I had no likes. I, the last thing, if, if, if there was something I didn't agree with you about, you would never hear from me because, of course, if, if I expressed it, you'd run like hell for me, you know. And, you know, it's, you know, in looking back, you know, after all these years, you know, I put so much weight, no pun intended, on my physical look. You know, having grown up as the fat kid, that was what it was all about. It was all about weight. And I look around now. I have a friend who's like was 300 pounds, and he was a chick magnet. <laughs> he really was because he liked himself. He was comfortable in his skin. He was he was fine with himself. He and, and that's the one thing I look back. I wish I'd had more ability to like myself, and I wish I had worked harder earlier on on the steps and the work. You know, for me, the first few years in program, it was just you know it was another diet. It was one of many diets I'd been on. And and the idea of liking myself became important. I, um, you know, and you know, I realize now. I mean, in some of the relationships I win were not healthy. You know, and and I think the good relationship is is one where two people want each other but don't need each other. And because the difference is is the two people standing straight up, walking together, as opposed to one leaning on the other. And I've been on both sides of the leaning thing, and and it wasn't a healthy relationship. And one of the reasons I would be in an unhealthy relationship sometimes is I wasn't very good at saying no. And it was really hard for me. When you come from this place of, of, of lack of abundance relationships-wise, the idea of saying no, and that you weren't interested in somebody, or having had no said to me enough, the last thing I wanted to do was to be the rejector. I would take such empathy. But then I look back later and go, it was, really, it was an unfair thing for me to do to people that I wasn't interested in to go out with them just because they were interested in me. And it, you know, it took a long time to work on that kind of thing. And, you know, you know, I had, you know, a bad people picker, you know, and, and it's, got, it's gotten better over the years. I've heard people talk about, you know, having the bad people picker. And, and, and I, I also realize sometimes it's, to flip it around, I, I didn't have a very good people. I had a bad filter. You know, I would filter people out that were perfectly good. You know, I hear people talk about that. And I've been on the opposite end of that. I've been everybody's ma- female's best friend. I've been, why can't I find somebody like you? And I'd be like, right here, you know, you know. <laughs> But it would be, you know, they'd be wanting to go out with the bad boys and then complain. And I'd be like, you know, why do you think they call them the bad boys? You know, I I remember watching an interview with Robin Givens where, you know, after she had divorced Mike Tyson and had been beaten by him and all. And, and, you know, you know, she she had she's said she was shocked, you know, that that the man she married, who who essentially knocks people unconscious for a living, was violent. You know, I don't know. (laughs) You know, but. And then the idea, I would go out with people to, to grasp the concept of intimacy. You know, I come from an alcoholic, like Jim was mentioned. I had two alcoholic parents on both sides. I come from family that did not, there was no trust. You couldn't trust anything. And then that's the main component of an intimate, good relationship is to be able to bear your soul. And I came from a family where if you gave secrets, that was future ammunition, you know, and that the idea that I had, you know, and... This has been hard, and over the years, I've really worked on the idea of not going through life in a defensive crouch. You know, I don't want to do, you know, I was a New Yorker, and so I'm, nobody's going to take advantage of me and this and that. And 
I don't want to do that anymore because you tend to have a, a self-fulfilling prophecy when you live life like that. And I don't want to be that way. And if I take advantage of them now, okay. But, you know, it, it, I want it to be different. You know, it's, uh, you always say it's, harder to be na- it's, it's a lot harder to be naked emotionally than physically, you know, and even though it was hard in the beginning for me on that. And I remember going to a meeting when I, I think I was sober about a year, and somebody had the most wonderful analogy, and I never heard it again, but it's never left my mind, and that's the, the analogy of the lobster, you know, that a lobster in the wild has only one defense mechanism, and that is its shell. It protects it. It's the only thing that's going to keep it alive. But once a year, a lobster has to molt. It has to lose its shell. And the reason it has to lose its shell is while it's also its main defense, it's also the inhibitor of its growth. And for it to grow, it has to be defenseless for a while. And that was the hardest thing, to be able to do that emotionally, you know, to realize, you know, and I... You know, to be willing to, you know, there was this movie City of Angels that had this whole metaphor about stepping off the building and trusting, you know, and, and you know, with, especially with professing love and being willing to put yourself out there, you know, it was really hard, you know, and, and but I was willing to do that, you know, I, I mean, this is great movie. Uh, adaptation. I, I, I find my, a lot of my stuff comes from the media. I don't know. And in this movie, he's they got these two brothers, and, and one is talking about how this guy, his other brother, had a, a crush on a girl in high school named Sarah. And he said, I love Sarah. It was mine, that love. I owned it. Even Sarah didn't have a right to take it away from me. You know, I can love whoever I want. And his brother says, but she thought you were pathetic. And he says, well, that was her business, not mine. You know, you are what you love, not what loves you. That's what I figured out over life. And it's, to me, it's an important thing. And I really put myself out when I ended up pursuing the person I, I'm married to now. I was the opposite of it. I would run. If, if I sensed the slightest rejection, I'd be out the door, you know. And this time, I mean, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a stalker, but she wasn't, said this wasn't a good time. And I was fine with it, but I kept letting her know if she ever changed her mind. And, you know, evidently she did, you know. And, um, you know, as I got older, I mean, you know, I've, I've been work, I've continued to try and work this thing, you know. It's funny, Jim talks, the AA 12 and 12, and I have that exact line you talked about, you know, the inability to form a true partnership with another human being. It was an important thing. There was also a guy in, in my AA meetings in L.A. named Andrew. He was old-timers, an actor with great stentorious voice. And he and his, his wife used to give these relationship workshops. And she, he said something that really was very profound to me, too. He talked about, he says, you know, when it comes to relationships, you know, sometimes using the traditions instead of the steps. And he said, our common welfare comes first. You know, and that to me is like the number one thing in our relationship. Our common welfare comes first. You know, the relationship supersedes all. We are trusted servants. We do not govern. <laughs> you know, each is autonomous except in matters affecting a relationship. You know, each is self-supporting. And we may hire outside workers called a, th- a couple therapists. <laughs> if we, you know. But, you know, I mean, when I look at all this stuff, it comes down, you know, the things that become dysfunctional are, at least in my life, it's been a, usually a lack of communication. And usually if there is a place, it's, it's always coming from a place of fear. You know, if, you know what they say in, in, the, in the 12 and 12, fear of not getting what you want or losing what you have. You know? And, and I, I, I think it's an important thing to you know, keep working toward that. The other thing I got at some point, you know, I, I, my many careers, I, I did some acting and, and improv in particular. And... One of the things they teach you in improv, you know, one of the things that most comics are not good improvers because we want to get the punchline and get the big laugh. And what my improv teacher said is if everybody works toward making the other person the best they can be, 
everybody's going to be great. And the idea in relationships, that to, instead of worrying about me, 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 let's, let me help you, 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 and if you're helping you, 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 we're all going to do better. And it was an interesting you know, thing that I, I sort of came, you know, came to with this. You know, you know, you know the, the, the other thing is I have to realize, and this, I know this may sound dumb, but it, it took me a while to get that men and women think differently, and it's okay. You know, viva la difference, you know? <laughs> There's a great viral video out right now. If anybody's ever seen the one with the girl with the nail in her head, has anybody seen this thing? Oh, oh, it's very well. Go look for it sometime. But it's you know, this woman's got a nail in her head, and she's talking to her husband. She's going, you know, I I, I have this pain, and, and he's going, you know, you could, you got a nail in your head. Maybe if you, just, you what? I just want you to listen to me, you know. But. And it's a funny thing, but there is a certain thing of, you know, sometimes how I am of service is to just let somebody dump. And, and is a, trust me, I come from the alcoholic family. I, early on, I would go to early ACA meetings, and they talk about the caretaker personality. That was me. I want to make everybody better. And so when you tell me you have a problem, I'm sitting there coming up with a solution. And sometimes it's just you want to just tell me you're having a problem. And it's the hardest thing, but it's part of what I'm, I'm trying to learn to do as I get older, you know. The other thing I heard, I went up and I led a, a uh, yeah, I, was, I didn't lead. I was one of the, the Oakland workshop. You guys, I didn't know anybody from Oakland here, but they have a wonderful workshop, step workshop every year. And, and I was up there. And after my thing, I'm listening, and somebody said to her, her sponsor told her once, other people are not imperfect versions of you. <laughs> Bing, between the eyes on that one. And that is something that has, I'm like, wow, you know, I, I, I need to remember that one. I came back and told that at every meeting I heard that for the, for the first couple of weeks. But, you know, that's the other thing. And it was mentioned before, I, you know, I don't want to be married to me. That's the one thing I got to remember. You know, I don't want to do the thing that, that, you know, where I'm, I'm going to change her into me, you know, because that's not, not a good thing, <laughs> you know. There's a, a comedian used to do a whole joke about about the you know one one person in the marriage who they get married and then you know you know she changes this on him and then she changes this on him and she changes that on him and then she turns one day and says you're not the man I married <laughs> you know but it happens both ways but it's true and 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 the idea of accepting people as they are and it's fine and and on on any given day I'm human and I don't always do it right you know she drives differently than I do and I want to I want to tell and it's hard but I realize in the long run it's better not to I mean it's it's one of those things I don't know how much of it comes from recovery in 12 steps or just getting to be my age and maybe a little exhaustion <laughs> you know to say it's okay you know I she doesn't have to do things exactly as as I can and then to me that's you know a big part of the relationship is this trying Trying to make her more important than me, and not and to try for me. If the self is out of the way, like I said, that improv narrative w- w- was the best thing that I ever heard. You know, that 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 is how to make a good relationship. Because God knows, I had a lot of lousy ones before, and. And I'll end on this. One of my favorite. There's a website out there. I'll tell anybody who wants to know about it later. They do all these gag. Th- you know the you know the sort of hokey business posters they put up to help motivate people and they'll have a picture and a, a slogan well these people do like gag ones and the, the one that said it said uh the only common denominator with you and all of your bad relationships is you <laughs> and that's what i had to remember so anyway thanks for letting me share thank you so much again john um 
It was so so great to hear your uh, talk, especially the reminder of using the traditions. I, I wish we heard more of that in OA about the value of using the traditions. And you know, people come in the rooms so and like, yeah, the weight, you know, the steps will help me get skinny, but the traditions really help me learn how to like not want to kill myself. You know, so thank you <laughs> and other people. So um, <laughs> so <laughs> the meeting is now open for questions from the floor to the panelists, and we ask that the panelists limit limit your answers to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Um, If you can stand when you ask your question, and I will repeat it for the mic for the recording, that'd be great. Does anyone have any questions? When you find yourself uh, back trying to control the relationship, although you don't want to, how do you back out of that, and how do you keep from getting to that point? Okay, so the question is, uh, when you find yourself wanting to be controlling in the relationship, how do you back out of that point and uh, get back to serenity, I assume? Wendy, do you want to take that? I just want to say... Do you want um, to talk to the mic? Oh, sure. I just want to say, I tell a lot of my OA fellows to sit on your hands. Um, I'm still in the dating phase, and me and my friends are, so I don't know, like, being in a relationship, they could answer that. But, like, when you want to reach out, because you're like, I haven't heard from him in three or four or five days, like... Oh my God! I tell them to sit on their hands and just let go, let God. Like I keep on repeating that. I mean, being a dater and they upset my friends obsess, and so do I. So I say, sit on your hands, just like you would the food. You wouldn't touch a trigger food. That's thanks, Wendy. Do you guys want to go for that too? Uh, well, one thing is I'm married to somebody in program, and so if I'm doing something, she'll comment on it. That lets me know that I'm. Doing, you know, like she'll talk about something and then I'll try fixing something and she'll say, no, 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 I just want somebody to listen. You're, you don't need to fix anything. And I think, but I don't feel control when I'm listening. I feel control when I'm doing something. <laughs> but that's not what it is. So, um, and I'm also in another recovery program which deals with not being controlling so much. So, <laughs> so flags go up. And so I can tell that, you know, I can tell by how the moment is going that it's not going well. And usually that means me. You know, I'm trying to control something. I'm trying to get somebody to do what I want them to do. I'm trying to get the answer I want, all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it really does help that, that periodically, like when I'm doing something and I see something unexpected show up, that my wife is mentioning or something like that, is to just tell myself, wow, that was really great, so that I remember that when I'm not in control, I can hear, and then those good things actually make sense to me as versus they're annoying, and why don't you just be like me, which is not all that much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. I'll just say the prompt uh, use of the 10th step is an important thing to really, as soon as I realize I've I've done something, stepped over in line, go, I'm really sorry, I was wrong. And I I really try to catch it. And sometimes I'll catch it literally in the middle of something and go, you know what? Alan, on, I, I, I know we shouldn't mention other pros. I'll use the phrase Alan on slips sometimes and say, you know what, you're right, you're right. And I've gotten a lot better about being able to do that quickly. And the other thing I try and do is, you know, like it talks about amends, I really try to also say amend as in remember this for the next time and don't do it. <laughs> so. Great. Thank you all. Are there any other questions? Where, where did that come from? 
AA 12 and 12. AA 12 and 12. So the question was uh, about the reference to uh, the, uh, the literature that says uh, about our inability to have. Uh, 54 for him and 53 for me. Uh, yeah, it's step four. Yeah, step four. It, it's step yeah. four, yeah. yeah. There was a question back there. So the question is for the three panelists, if you could share your greatest life lesson. Thanks. Want to start, Wendy? In in relationship specifically, Wendy. Um, two things came to me. I was on a cruise recently, and um, I was upset about this boy. And I just um, did a step ten um, study, and two things came to mind um, as I continued to work on it: keep it simple, and let go, let God. Like, and I keep on repeating those two things, and everything else just solves itself when you keep on keeping it simple and not overcomplicate and overanalyze. Great. Thanks, Wendy. Well, you know, the thing that I drill back to that I try to remember uh, is the one thing my first sponsor in my first program, you know, said is there's a God and it's not you. And, and to re- literally almost a mantra to me sometimes that I'll use that, you know, there's a God, it's not me. Because I want, you know, I only do it for the best of reasons, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I think probably the best lesson is, is just that um, somebody that I did inventory with told me that when you're, you know, like, like I don't travel well, so she said, if, if you're traveling, just remember you're not home. Mm that you, you can't control things like you think you can at home when you're in. And I, and I kind of use that in relationship as well. When I'm in a relationship, I can't have the same control. I can, like when my wife's in Hawaii, I can do all kinds of stupid stuff at home. Uh, when she's not in Hawaii, I need to remember she's not in Hawaii. She's, you know, this house is for two of us and our cat, but it's, you know, it's two of us. Uh, and, and just that recognition that I'm in a relationship with another human being and, and you know, that HP is running this, not me. Great, thanks. Um, how do you know when you're ready to enter into a relationship or a dating experience mm-hmm. and what are some ways to kind of deal with the vulnerability that accompanies so the question for the tape is, how do you know when you're ready to start dating and to get into a relationship, and how do you deal with the vulnerability of that? Who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, okay, I'll go first this time. Um, uh, well, like I said, I didn't date for eight years and then started dating, and, and um, what I was told was, you're going to start dating, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to think that because it was eight years, you've got it all wired and you're going to be fine. And they just told me, just recognize that when you date, you're going to be surprised at the stuff you still don't know. And, and that, that that just means it's your time to do it with another person rather than you know, doing program things so much separately and studying it is now you're in a relationship with a person. And uh, like, for example, my, uh, one of the people I dated was really into money and wanted me to get a better job to make more money. <laughs> and so somebody in program said, so do you think that's a problem you have with the money thing? You know, and I said, probably. And, and they said, well, then when you're dating, just pay attention. At the end of each date, kind of look and see what 
where did the money stuff come up? You know, what was going on? What did you feel? What was, what was their viewpoint? And is this what you want to have in a relationship? Is that kind of dynamic going on? Um, so, it, you know, some of it is knowing with time that there are some things I'm better at than I was eight years ago, but that this new relationship is not going to be Jim doing everything right and everything turning out just like it was in, the, you know, some book I read 50 years ago, you know. <laughs> It's like this is another step forward. HP runs it. You do not learn from it. So it's being ready to make mistakes and learn. I think what Wendy said before, uh, I mean, on on the time when I dated after the long-term relationship I had before I met my uh, current wife, um, I had to learn that it could just be a a coffee, you know, for me, you know. I remember talking to a sponsor, you know, and he'd be like, you know, I'd, I'll tell a funny story. I'm in a bank once. I see a girl I really love. I, she, I found her very attractive. And I'm looking at her and go, wow, you know, she's probably going to want a family. And I'm standing in a bank line. I haven't said hello, anything. And I'm thinking, yeah, she's going to want a family. But that's the kind of brain I have. And, and that I needed to realize. And I remember talking to my sponsor when I started. And I got to tell you, I love... I know some people can't stand the computer dating thing, but uh, because I came from a background, I, there's a TV show on where a guy had to be drunk to talk to women, has to be drunk to talk to women. That's why I drank. I was never going to drink because my parents were alcoholic, but I couldn't talk to women because I was so painfully shy. I actually appreciated having a computer thing, but I learned it's okay. Just go for a cup of coffee. And mm-hmm. I, and, and and the line I, I I did a comedy show once where I said I said look your first your first computer date. You go somewhere where there's a lot of uh, exits, uh, witnesses, and good Samaritans. <laughs> Thanks, John. Wendy? Um, I would just like to say don't do it by yourself. Um, talk to your sponsor. Talk to fellows you trust um, and those that are have been dating. Um, the other thing I was going to say was something very invaluable to me was my sponsor said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like a portfolio in stock and finances, mm-hmm. like diversify the risk. <laughs> because I was like all into one guy. And I'm like, I th- I, I, he, he broke my heart. But that was because he was dating others and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of him as, oh the soulmate and he was like oh but there's all these different kinds of women he might come back to you but you know do the same um don't take it so seriously don't take yourself so seriously and just keep practicing thanks wendy any other questions So the question is about uh, dating people when you're really involved in program. How do you date people who aren't in program and stay sane at the same time? Yeah, like talking about your food plan and and, and not being weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, very good question. Um, I won't answer it perfectly, but I'll answer with my experience. So. Um, I stopped weighing and measuring when I started dating. That's one thing. Um, I did date someone in program, and um, 
you get a lot of crazy when you date someone in program. Um, not a bad thing, but it was like too much of the same thing. So you wanted someone to b- b- balance it out, or at least I felt that. Um, you know what? Like I said before, you know, diversifying the portfolio. I like to date a lot of different kind of men. See what what else is out there. You know, not being yes, program is a huge part of my life, and I speak a language, and I could filter from program, but then I could see other people, and maybe they're doing work. Maybe it's not program, but maybe they're in therapy, or maybe they're um, they go to the gym, and that's their therapy. Do you know? Um, I don't know. I, I like staying present and not thinking too much lately. I think that's just what works. And God will show me who's meant for me. But just enjoy and have fun in the process. So don't think too much. I know when I first came to the program, I had the, you know, I was like a, you know, Joe away in terms of, oh, uh, I'm in over here, anonymous, or I'm in, and, and what happened is the longer I was around, uh, the less I did of that. I did, especially not right away. I tended to want to always open up with everything right, right away, and, and right. I'd get look at these horrified looks on people's faces and say, <laughs> TMI too soon. Um, and that, one of the, uh, the things I, I waited until I was dating somebody a while before I mentioned, I just say I'm in 12-step programs, and, and I mean, because I, you know, about the drinking and thing, but then I would just sometimes say, oh, no, I'm allergic, you know, and, and, and that, that, I find I'm allergic works really well for most people unless they're really nudgy, and, you know, if they ask, then I say I break out in fat. That's what's, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, for me, when I first started dating after my first marriage, uh, I did date people who weren't in program uh, because I was supposed to be finding out that the women were different, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, what, what eventually happened was that those people that I dated, if they weren't in program and, or they weren't trying to grow themselves in certain directions, mm-hmm. usually had a goal and were after it and wanted to be in the goal too. Mm-hmm. And it felt really oppressive to me rather than something I wanted to put my energy into. So that I wound up dating people in program after I dated people who weren't because it just, did, it just didn't feel right. It wasn't so much the idea that I was talking about what I was gonna eat and they didn't understand it. Uh, as their view was, this is my goal in life, this is what I'm after, this is what I'm going to do, you're going to do it with me. I had one woman who wanted to buy houses, so she said, you're going to be my husband, and we're going to go look at houses and talk to the salespeople, <laughs> and, then, and, and, and we'll find out what they're you know, willing to buy, you know, spend on it and stuff. And, and I thought, this is not what I want to do with my life, <laughs> run around looking at houses. Um, so it, it wound up being that program people were closer to what I wanted in me uh, and, and what I was trusting HP to build. So. There's also great. there's a great old-timer from L.A. named Len that most of you guys know if you're from L.A. And he, Len always, if you make some kind of complaint about somebody you've dated in programming, he goes, remember where you met him. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think we'll end on that note today. <laughs> That's all the time we have for sharing. It is now time to close this session. So let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. And, and for, the one, for the question about the, the dating, I can talk to you about that after meeting <laughs> happily. So um, if you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. So please join hands as we close with the OA promise. I put my hand in yours. <laughs> <laughs>